Welcome everyone to the Let's Get Real podcast, the show that delves deep into stories of resilience, adversity and transformation. Today I'm joined by former Manchester United player and mental health advocate Pat McGibbon. Welcome to the show Pat. Thanks for the invite. So Pat, We've a lot to get through. Um, I've, I've did a bit of research um, on your career um, over the past number of years. But just tell the listeners what, what Pat's doing at the moment um, very briefly before we start delving back into sort of some of those um, life achievements and adversities you've faced. Yeah, well, look, look my, my week, I suppose working week, is, is, is quite diverse. I'm, I, I founded a charity train to be smart in, in 2013. So I would do a lot of work surrounding that. You know, we have affiliated teams and also um, we do a lot of outreach work as well. So it's just planning in, in that regard. Also, I do a little bit of physio work as well. I, I qualified as a physio when I was um, still playing at, at Wigan Athletic. And um, so I still do a little bit of, of physiotherapy part-time as well. And then I go out to... to um, sports clubs and do resilience-based work as well, Michael. So it's it's quite diverse, but I, I really, really enjoy what I'm doing, I have to say. Yeah, brilliant. And it's it's fantastic to hear not only you contributing back in terms of the use of sport, but you've, you've got the freedom and the enjoyment and the happiness you're finding in that. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that's that's the important thing. It's, it's having that freedom to do what I want to do. And also with, you know, as having a, a family and three, three children as well, being able to to switch off and, and enjoy the, the family time, which I wasn't able to do for a, for a while. So now that I'm getting to that stage, I have to say yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying all the work that I'm doing, but also that, that freedom that it gives as well. Yeah, listen, really, really insightful. And I'd, I'd love to touch on, and as we move through the podcast, we will, about how you attained your physiotherapy degree. I think there's a lot to learn from that. Any young footballer that's travelling across England, in terms of having an option if their career doesn't quite go according to plan or what they do upon retirement. So t- take me back, Pat. How did a young Pat McGibbon um, from Lurgan, how did he end up you know, sharing a dressing room with, with the class in 82? I think there's a really fascinating story in this. Yeah, look, I mean, it's it, it's quite strange. I, I grew up in the, in the countryside and we had, we, had a, we had a big garden and... and I just love sport from from day one, you know. From from I was in nappies, there's photographs of me kicking a ball about, and you know, as I as I went through primary school, um, and secondary school, any of, of any of the sports that were going, uh, cross country running, Gaelic football, soccer, basketball, whatever was going, I was involved with Michael. So, um. At eleven, I suppose I, I played in in primary school, but there was there was Gaelic football involved with that. So I played within the the Gaelic team from primary five through to primary seven. Then when I went into secondary school, it was a wee bit more diverse in terms of the the sports that were played. And I played my first soccer match. I think at eleven years of age. I suppose when you look you look back now and 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 you look at today's environment where kids are starting from from four and five years of age playing it. It was quite late to start, but um, I, I took to it. And I have to say, it, you know, even 15, 16, I was playing for, for a local side, Lurgan United, um, who were, we, we were quite strong, quite a strong side. Um, and at 15, or sorry, closer to 16, we were then invited over. There was a group of us, about six of us over to Portadown. Now, I was still actually considered quite small at that stage and was in on the, the fringes of the Port Down youth team until I, I turned 18, 17, 18, and then I took a growth spurt. And at that stage, I then sort of was, first of all, I was, I was in the, the schools, the Northern Ireland schools, um, under 18s. Then I, I was captain in them. I was playing in the the Portadown youth team and won the, the, the IFA Youth Cup and all of a sudden things started to take off. So I suppose with with a, a with growth in, in physically, uh, then grew in confidence as well and, and was offered a trial at Manchester United in nineteen ninety two. Went over there for a week and um because I was 
playing used to playing in the youth team, really at Portadown and in the reserves. I expected to go over. I was still a team, so I expected to go over and play within either the youth team or a team. But I was thrown straight into a reserve team game, and like you were playing with with seasoned professionals, Michael. So you know, I the, the game that I played um, for the reserves was against Aston Villa, where I was marking Dwight York and Dalian Atkinson. God rest them. So. Um, yeah, but, and how was that? How was that? Because uh, you mentioned there, Pat, we had you broken through into the the Porter Down first team at that stage. I was, or were you still I was on the on, fringes. I was on the fringes, and you know the, the those games throughout the course of that year, I was within the fringes. And I remember Man City had come over to the Shamrock at at that stage, and we I was involved in the the bands and that. And I always remember looking at the the lads. It was the likes of Keith Curl. Um, David White, Nal Quinn. There was, they were a huge team. I remember going out the the tunnel and thinking, you know, because uh, I'd I'd grown and I just thought it was big. And then I was looking at these six foot four and six foot five and thinking, you know, this is what's going to happen. And they, they they beat us comfortably enough on the night, but it, it gave me a wee feel for it. Um, so not long after that, as I say, then I went over to the Old Trafford and. You know, all of a sudden you were in a, in a, a old Trafford in a big, massive changing room with these seasoned professionals, and um, just just played played the game and did you know did well enough, I suppose, to, to be offered the opportunity to, to come back. I always remember, um, I was in in digs that particular week with the likes of Robbie Savage, Keith Gillespie, and. I always remember coming back from the, the game that night and, and Robbie Savage turned around saying to me, like, you, you did well, you were man of the match. And I, I didn't, I, I thought I did rightly, but I didn't think I, I did, you know, that well. And then that was then where I was offered the opportunity to, to go back that summer for three weeks. Went back for the three weeks and after that actually signed the contract for three years with, with Manchester United and, Sort of July August nineteen ninety two. Yeah, I mean, I I find that absolutely amazing. Um, you've went from, you know, on the fringes of, of part time football in the Irish league, to sort of saying, <laughs> saying for Manchester United and and sharing a dressing room with some of those players that most most Manchester United, Manchester United fans listen to this will be aware of the the, the famous class of ninety two. How, how how did that start to to move forward for you? Pat at that stage, yeah. Look, it it, it was. It, I always remember even that in that first trial going over and, and sitting in, the, in that week before the, the first match, and and Brian Robson was sitting there, and Brian Robson was like England captain. He was Manchester United captain. Great, great fella. And but I was sat and thinking, is this for real? As as only you know, I was used to the reading shoot magazine and match magazine and that, Michael, <laughs> and all of a sudden there was this fella beside. And but then I quickly realised, well, you know what? He's got he's got two legs, same as myself. And if I want to achieve anything in the game, then I have to sort of put that to the side and just work as hard as they work. And that's something that over my time at, at Manchester United I realised that, you know, that what set them these people apart is that they worked harder than, than other people. When you went to training, every training every training session was like a full scale match. And that was where you started to realise the whole ethos of, of Manchester United, I suppose, at that time. So you had yeah. the, the, the class of 92 coming through. So, you know, you had Giggsy, you had Scolesy, you had Nicky Butt, you had the two Navels, you know, you had other, other players there, like, you know, Robbie Savage, Keith Gillespie, Ben Thornley, Chris Casper. Just they were a really, really good side. And I played... You know, whatever I went over and signed, then I was playing eighteen games with those lads, playing reserve team games with those lads. So it was just a, it was just a brilliant grounding. And again, they were just they just were were normal lads who just happened to be really good at what they did and just loved the game. And I think that's that's hugely important for young people that are sitting out in the game that that you know they're passionate enough about it. To be able to overcome all the the setbacks that they're that are thrown, yeah. And how how did you how did you feel, Pat? Tell me a bit about that. Walking out for for your first game, did you did you debut? Did you come off the bench? Tell tell me about that when you sort this, of put on it, the jersey. 
and is this was this in the the first trial like in the the first trial match or is this whenever I was playing the first team or at any stage? Do, what after you signed your pro contract? Right. Tell me about that first game. Yeah, after signing the, the, the first pro or the, the pro contract, we were playing sort of pre-season games. So I remember various games were there was there was that much coming at you in pre-season. I, I, I do remember that I was I was fit, you know, when I was playing even over the, with Portadown because I was playing I was playing senior football for Clan Earn as well. I'd played for the County Miners at Armagh that that year in 1991, 92, and. And so I was, I was very fit, but I always remember going over there and and we trained pre-season. And with the pre-season, um, you know, we trained in the morning from half ten through to one, and then trained in the afternoon. And I was having to sleep every every afternoon because it was just up another level in terms of the training. So I always remember the pre-season, and then you got all the the various games like the likes of the 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 local teams around. Who our reserve teams would have played, you know. So you would you would have you know your your Salford Cities and you would have your Droylston and they were they were senior teams playing against I suppose the younger lads to to get that I suppose mix of of you going into you know real senior hard football as well. So those were the games that I remember sort of going through the pre seasons. Um, but then once the season started and you got into whether it was the A team league or the reserve team league and and added dipped in between both you know in those first couple of years yeah. you were getting plenty of games in so that that was uh it was just a, a transition and i think i suppose and, and i know we spoke about it previously michael about this you know you go over and the whole homesickness thing is yes. is there so the, I'm not saying it's it's a blur, but you're you're trying to adapt to all of those and spin on a lot of plates in terms of your your emotions as well. Because I was eighteen at the time, and I suppose I was a little bit more mature than the lads who go over as apprentices. But even then, I just you know I was still going away from home. I was leaving my mates. I, I know that I had you know a bit of education behind me in terms of my A levels, but it was still a it was still a big transition going over. And but but putting on a Manchester United jersey, whether it was in a in a friendly against Royalston or whether it was you know in any of the team or reserve team games, every every time I put on a Manchester United jersey, it was just I, I just appreciated it so much. Yeah, now you you mentioned an interesting uh, thing there, Pat, about obviously transitioning and, and some of the young boys that, that leave these shores at a much younger age uh, who don't make it and come back and they're they're sort of they're lost potentially to the game or they they lost their ways lately in life um and, and i know a number of people like that now just touch on me if you will because your first year at manchester united um you you suffered um, what i would call a huge loss and a, and a potentially huge shock to the system uh regarding your brother do you just want to, to touch on that slightly yeah um look i was Obviously, it was over, and as I mentioned just just previously, you know you're 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 settling in, so you're in digs. We had we had a fair amount of of lads in in digs. So there's a a lad who became a, my best mate at Manchester United, Kevin Pulkin, and it was a goalkeeper. Um, you had you know your your, your Robbie Savages. A lot of the the first team are sorry the first year apprentices were there as well, like David Johnson, Gary Twynham. There was. We had a fair big group, and that helped you within that first year. But um, you you were still sort of settling in, and then in nineteen, it was April nineteen ninety three. Um, I was a training, so the training ground was was literally round the corner, Michael, and and I went to training, did a normal day's training session, and came back. And when I came back, then. Um, the landlady who was a, a brilliant woman, Brenda Gosling, who passed away quite quite recently, and was like a mother figure to me. She was she was really really good. Um, she asked me to sit down. So you know, it's still something that that comes back to me and is difficult. It's difficult to, to speak about. But whenever um, I then came back, she told me to sit down and she asked me, or she said to me, "Look, I've had a phone call." 
to, to say from the family that that your brother Philip has taken his own life. So obviously, it was a it was a major trauma, and and you know the 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 taxi ride and the the flight back was was a blur. You know the the Philip was was obviously my brother, but also my best mate as well. You know we were typical brothers with brothers we fought fought the bad at times but you know we, we played in the same team at, at clan earn and the gaelic and i played with learn united uh with them as well so yeah it was a, it was a massive shock to the system it was you know coming towards the end of the season michael and, and i went back and obviously you had to go through the wake and the and the funeral the club were brilliant about it you know the the, the gaffer said that look take as much time as you want the the only thing was that whenever i went back home and, and after you know the the funeral itself and everything's settling down a lot of my friends were at university they were doing their own thing so i knew that if if i didn't get back into it as quickly as possible then you know it would be something that maybe i wouldn't get back into at all so and that's that's what that's why i always have such a great affiliation with Manchester United because for five years after you know during that time whenever in that first year that, that I found out that Philip took his own life there was a, there was a stability in my life with Manchester United that I needed you know and and because I was so passionate about the game it allowed me to continue playing the game I I think it's a a huge testament to your 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 character, Pat, and your standing, just in terms of your own your your own fortitude, um, and your mental toughness. That you know, experiencing that at such a young age, and then being asked to return into sort of in a, in effect a, a coliseum, which is which was which is professional sport, and and deal and manage and, and cope with that um, when it was still extremely raw. I mean, you obviously said there that you know the sport and the club helped you a lot. Um, what what sort of what sort of impact or, or gains or did uh, did Sir Alex have on you around that stage or, or even your or even your your coach your coach at that at that stage hard hard a day help you sort of deal with that? Yeah, look, I, I mean, it's it's different. It, it's different times now. The, the you know during that time in, in the nineteen nineties, and that I suppose the education surrounding mental health wasn't the same. But Manchester United had a chaplain, and the and the gaffer said, look, you know, if if you need to speak to anybody, the chaplains are, and and I did use that facility, and and did use the the the, the chat with them in a in a private place. Um, but I just find that, and and. It, Sure, you can understand this, Michael, as well. You know, that having played football, and, and and sometimes when you're in a, a, a changing room environment, and you get on with the lads that you're in within a changing room environment, you find that's almost your solace. It's that you know, it's that the gatherness, it's that common goal, it's that you know that and and you know what I know that as we say, it's a, it's an arena, and it can be a very volatile arena. You know, whether both in a changing room and in a you know, once you go out there in the public arena on a pitch, but you know, but there's a collectiveness there when you get a good group together, and I think that's more than anything what helped me through. So you know, the the, the gaffer was brilliant in terms of you know saying if if you need to speak to anybody, but I think it was more that that group of players and those people around me, in in terms of the players that were so important. Yeah, and hard about you know. Everyone says that you know Ferguson is obviously up there with one of the the greatest man managers of all time, and hard of you know get the best out of people. I mean, did you did you see that? Did you witness that? Did you did you learn anything from the man from studying him, even taking it into your own managerial career or your life? Yeah, de- definitely. I mean, I know they they talk about the hairdryer with the gaffer, and 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 I've seen it once or twice, but. You know, it's it's used for a fact, and if it's used all the time, then um, it loses its effect. That's the thing about it. And I always said, yeah, for I know that that people would have talked about you know all the great players, but what I always said about him was he was a great educator as well, Michael. You know, he, he there there were key messages and the things that he did, and I suppose that's why when you look at the the lads that have come through, and I've. I've been very fortunate. I know I, I didn't play hundreds of games for Manchester United, but I got a great grounding within it. And the 
came through and and the, those really successful ones of, of you know like the likes of Giggsy, Scolesy, Bax, the Gary Naval, Phil Naval, all all of those ones have played hundreds of games for Manchester United. He gave them a great grinding. I I, I, I always remember we we played Everton. I think I've told this story before, but you know when we we played Everton and that the the team. That, that was put out was a very young side and you had backs, you had skulls, you had a, with a really strong side if you look at it now, but these were still lads still learning their trade and they come up, we came up against a, a side at Everton that particular evening who had Graham Stewart, a lot of experienced players and we ended up, we lost we lost 3-0 that particular night and after the game, Jim Ryan, the coach came in and he obviously gave us a bit of a rollicking and then the the door opened and the gaffer came in and he he gave off this and then he said right lads and we were still only 19 20 at the time and he says right lads you are in tomorrow at six o'clock and we ended up we came in and um when when we came in all the lads were making sure that we were in at half five in the morning but <laughs> six o'clock the janitors opened the the uh, door to the cliff and we sat in there and you know, at half six arrived, nobody there. Half or seven arrived, nobody there. I remember him coming in, and when he came through the doors, the gaffer came in, and he just looked at us and he went, "You see, if you worked in a factory, that's what time you'd be coming in at," and then just walked past us. And you know, it's sometimes people can talk, but they never get the key message through. And, yeah. and that was what he was really good at with the kids. You know, he's really good at saying, "Look." If you want to be a player with this club, you know you have to set standards and you have to do things that other people wouldn't do. And you know, but it was just a lesson learned, and that that's why I think he was really good, especially with the the younger ones. They were impressionable, and he was able to to really put his mark alongside. I have to say that the coaches at the youth team, it's Eric Harrison. Yeah, Eric passed away quite recently, and again, Eric. What, what a man and what a coach. So all of those people throughout, you know, they were the fabric of the club during that time, Michael. Yeah, and that, that, that would have took me back. That was at the cliff back then, Pat, is that right? That's right. That was at the cliff and, and we trained around at Littleton Road as well. Yeah, yeah no, some fantastic memories, I'm sure. Now, you, you mentioned you spent the best part of five years at, at obviously at Manchester United. So... How did, you, how did your move come about? Did you go out on loan? How did that whole next phase of your career start to materialise for you? Yeah, around, around 90, uh, so I signed 92, so you and then went in th- three years in, and that, that final year of my three-year spell, I I was on the bench against Coventry for the first team, didn't manage to get on, and then the, the next couple of years, things were going well, obviously, in 95, Played against the infamous uh, York in that that York game, I got sent off. But even even beyond that, the, a few months later, I was in the squad against Newcastle, and I'd, I was close to getting on there. And I knew that that you know I was I was still on the really on the fringes of things, and was was doing well. And then it went to the ninety six ninety seven, and I I played in the some of the pre season games for the first time. And I did did rightly in those, and then I was sent out on loan to the Swansea under Jan Mulvey at the time. So the gaffer tended to do that with the, the young lads to give them more experience to the you know to the, the the rough and tumble of the lower leagues as well. Um, yeah. So when I w- played one game against um, Doncaster and and did rightly, we won one nil, and and I always remember Mark and. Darren Moore, you know, was the West Brom manager at the time and set pieces and thinking, yeah, I'm going to be in a battle here. But <laughs> and it was the first game that marked the lad Jack Lester, who did very well for Nottingham Forest then. Um, and I, I was pleased with the way things had gone. I was, I was sitting beside seasoned professionals. So it was the other, it was another stage to, I suppose, my career and, and my education within football. Um, but only the, the the way it worked, Michael, was that I was um, I was training with the United three days, and then would have went down to Swansea for a couple of days, and then played the match when it came to the the second game. But went in for a tackle on the Wednesday at at, at 
Littleton Road with the lad Ronnie Wallwork and um, came out the, the, the wrong side of it. It wasn't a bad tackle. We just went in for a, a, a tackle and I probably didn't protect myself the way I should as I went in and my knee, um, my knee ended up going the other way. I was out for five and a half months um, with a cartilage and, and medial ligament tear and then at sort of January, February, I was coming back in and at that stage in went out on loan to the Wigan Athletic. So went out on loan, took a two or three games to get back up the, the speed of it. But by the end of that season, you know, we'd won the league. I'd won the league on loan with Wigan. I'd managed to, to score the goal that helped to get them promoted against Colchester. It was a real, you know, I really, really enjoyed that time. And I suppose yeah. that was where I was at a crossroads. The the, the, the club, Manchester United, offered me two And I sat with the gaffer and said, look, I've really enjoyed playing competitive football. So at that stage, um, I made that decision. And, and between, you know, having the conversation with the gaffer, I made the decision to, to move on and get first team football at Wigan Athletic. Yep. It's... It's it's an amazing insight, Pat. Because if I think if I fast forward to today, there's there's a there's a hell of a lot of players that wouldn't have that conversation that are that are happy sitting on the bench and 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 drawing a pension. Um, from from some of the clubs, I think the mentality is is and a lot of the players is, is completely different now. Um, in terms of their search for first team football or or just hang around the bench and maybe get five and ten minutes out half. So yeah, your 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 determination. There was a brilliant one, even sort of '96. Whenever you know, well, sorry, it would have been '95. Whenever I played the game against York, and then we had the game against Newcastle. I think it was the the, the infamous one about um, you know where Kevin Keegan that season. It was like you know um, he, he had the rant that particular season. Oh yeah. But I was I was on the the bench against Newcastle and. That particular evening, I think Maisie, David May got got injured, and you know I was a recognised centre half on the bench, but I was still a rookie, you know, and that was the thing about it. It was a huge game, but the gaffer ended up putting Roy Keane, he put Keno to the centre back that particular evening. Yeah, and you know the thing about Keno was it was only when you seen him in training that he, he, you know, he was so focused on what he did. You know, if you'd have put him in the goals that evening, they'd probably have got man of the match. But they put him back to centre back, and he, he, he bossed the game. He, he, he scored a goal that night. The one two nil, and he got man of the match. And but I always remember going back afterwards and saying to my dad, like, you know what, what was bit centre being on the bench if they weren't going to put me on. And my dad said to me, "Well, look, if that's the way you feel, go and speak to the gaffer the next day." And and like I, I did, I went in the next day and said, "Look, gaffer, you know, I was disappointed. You know, I didn't didn't get on last night. You know, you put Keno. Now, when I think back of that now, I'm sure the gaffer, you know, when I walked out of that room, would have said, "Who does he think he is? Because <laughs> this is Roy Keane. This is the lad who he he had read was gonna was gonna." boss the game was going to do the things that needed he needed to do to win the game but in another way he'll have said well fair play to him for asking that question as well you know and that was one thing that I always was prepared to do Michael you know I was I was quite a strong character I wasn't I wasn't a I wasn't a bully but you know I had a strength of character to say well look question challenge it's not it's not a bad thing to, to challenge that either you know, so yeah. it was just part of my development as well. Oh, yeah, and I, and I, and I think looking back, and even if if you ever get the chance to speak to the the the, the big man now or the gaffer as you call him, I mean, I'm I'm sure he he left that conversation with a with a solid bit of respect for you. And you were saying, obviously, who does this kid think he is? But again, I think Ferguson never shirked anything in his life. So you know, if you've got an opinion. Yeah, like I never, the thing about it is, right, I never told Keno that story, so <laughs> at, some, at some point they'll probably find out. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. So, you, you, you're saying for Wigan then, was that in 87, Pat? That was, yeah, that was uh, Wigan in 1997, yeah, so that and sort of, the, 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 the time at Wigan, I have to say, again, absolutely loved it. There was a great fabric about the place when I first 
obviously went unloading the the fact that we you know had a bit of success and won the league that particular year. Um, it just carried things through then when we went in the 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 league above, and it was uh, you know it was a bit of transitioning in that first year. John Dean was a manager. John was it was a great fella, great manager, um, very good people, Carson, and the. Even the fact that it was, you know, it was close to Manchester, so we didn't have to move straight away. Um, we eventually moved up to Standish and Wigan, but um, the, in the first year there was wasn't a lot of transition, and it was slow transition. Um, and the people were really, really friendly as well. So it just it just suited, and we had some. I have to say, we had some great players during that time. Like obviously Roberto Martinez, Robbie's gone on, and is is the the manager of of the world's number one ranked team at the minute, you know, and and great great lads around that group at the time as well. Yeah, and that was uh, Dave Whelan back then, yes, as owner Dave, of that, yeah. yeah, Dave Whelan was the owner, I have to say I got on well. Mr Whelan he was a he was a brilliant fella. Um he you know he called the spade a spade which I liked and you knew where you stood with him and that that was the thing about him. Um during that time I always had a great relationship with him. Even in my final year where things it soured a wee bit. Um, I always remember at the end of that season, I, I wasn't playing as much and I was on the bench for the final game against Colchester and I always remember him coming over and shaking my hand and wishing me all the best. And those are things, you know, that, that stand by you. So, as I said, he had a money into Wigan Athletic and, and got them, you know, got them to where they, they were in terms of winning an FA Cup. I mean, it's that that's something surreal at a at a club like Wigan, where really you know they were punching above their weight. Yeah. Now, you, I think you mentioned at the start of the interview that you also took on an education pathway during your time at Wigan. Tell me a bit more about that. Yeah. Look, I, I mean, even even during um, you know my, my schooling days, as I went through secondary school, my dad used to say, and my mum always, you know thought that it was important that I carried a bit of education with me so you know I did my GCSEs and obviously I didn't get the move to Manchester United until I finished my my A-levels as well so it allowed me to go and and I suppose do something whether it was a degree at some stage and I decided to do that while I was still at Wigan so I did my, my physio degree at Salford University while I was still playing I was only I was the only player during, you know, because it was it was run by the PFA, Michael. So, um, and it was funded by the PFA. But you find that the majority of the the lads that were going through that degree, so the likes of Gary Stevens would have played at Everton and Rangers. The 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 most of the players that went through that were ex pros. Um, whereas I think I was the only one in that group that still was playing in the league. There was a big lad, Jason DeVos, who ended up going to Ipswich. Who started it and then moved to Dundee United, maybe, and then so he didn't go through it. But I was the only one that actually completed that was that was still playing within the the league itself, within the full time league. I know there yeah. were maybe a couple of players in the part time league, so it was you know it was it was a big uh, um you know it it was something that you had to focus on along with the football, but it was something that gave me the opportunity to after you know your football career finished that there was a pathway there as well so out, outside of your training which i'm assuming you were doing most days of the week for the club um yeah. being a pro you were then obviously studying around that every hour you get and, and attending classes yeah yeah we we had a monday we, we were in monday and thursday from i think about uh it was one o'clock right through the the eight or nine the evening and then that was Monday, Thursday. Then when it came to the placement hours, then after the season ended, I had to, I had to go and do placement hours for six, maybe six, eight weeks, depending on um, how, how quickly I could fit it in because you had a certain amount of hours to do, Michael. But it was, yeah, so there's quite a quite a commitment considering I was still playing football. Yeah, a, a, a huge undertaking, Pat, when you, when you think about some of the young lads that are playing the day once once they finish training, um, I think most of them are on their social media scrolls, looking looking at Instagram and and, and what's yeah. happening in pop culture <laughs> instead of maybe taking some time and even dedicating a few hours a day to to, to learning a new skill or, or educating themselves. Because as you know, you know your football career 
at last at, at tops to maybe 34, 36, unless you're sort of you know an extreme athlete and you can push it on to maybe past 36. But I think what's next has got to be a question that a lot of these young players um, ask themselves. And I think take, taking that learning and, and that wisdom, that experience um, that you you learned and honed during those days in Wigan, I think that's one of your, uh, would it be right in saying that's one of your core motivators and, and starting the train to be smart? It is, yeah, yeah. There was there was a few obviously that the whenever I started trying to be smart, I started out as a as a coaching program, and you know I looked at players like Paul Scholes. Scholes, he was the best player that's with, and and it was only when you were on a pitch with Scholes that you realised how good he was. Um, the the thing about it was with Scholes, he, he you know sixty meter sprint, he'd have been last. You know when it came to twelve minute run, he had bad asthma. You know he struggled badly with that. Yeah. But you put him on a pitch, and and he was just a different beast. He he was, he, you know, his his first touch was obviously first class. His range of passing was first class. But what I always find about him was he always seemed to have space on a pitch, and you know he always. He, uh, uh, the way I explain it is like you know watching the film The Matrix, where everything else is moving on and he everything slows down for him, and you know so that was where the train to be smart the, the coaching program started. But then a lot of parents started asking me would set up teams and you know and then the the, the charity arrived from it and and what I always said was we can have the physical attributes and, and this comes back to, I suppose, the physio background, you know, you can have the physical attributes, but you also have to have the mental and emotional traits as well to make it in the, you know, to make it into professional football and to, to stay at that level. I think the average, average player, even that goes into the, the football league and, and into professional football actually lasts no longer than six years, you know, before they come out to maybe part-time and, so that's because you, you've constantly, you, and you'll, you'll understand this, Michael, you have a constant conveyor belt of young lads coming through. You also have the, the variables of the, the clubs where they're looking at, you know, the, the costings and they're looking at value for money and they're looking at, you know, the young lads coming through and whether they can get them on a contract at a third of the money that the senior pros are on. You have all of those variables going on. Um, whenever I look back and at, at the guts of 11 years over in England, I used to look and, and think for a while, oh, well, I didn't achieve what I wanted to, to achieve. But you know what? When, whenever I look back at it now, you know, 0.1% of those that start out playing the game, um, own, they, they make it into professional football. Um, I was one of those 0.1%. So when I look at it now, it's, yeah, it's not, I suppose it's not bad. Oh yeah, it's 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 definitely something to be proud of, Pat. Now I think you you touched on an interesting point there when you mentioned obviously the mental and emotional aspect of it, and you you suffered obviously a huge uh, personal loss uh, as you mentioned during that sort of nineteen ninety three period when you were at Manchester United. Did did you take a lot of did you take a lot of learning from that and and try to then implement that within the, the train to be spark programs for some of those young people that you were you were engaging with. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the, a, a lot of things that I go through, you know, the, the one thing that I would say more than anything from a footballing perspective that, that I find even from, from my own human values is that I was always a good listener and, you know, I was a good observer. And and even the gaffer would, would say in his book, he says, you know, you have two ears and you, you have two eyes, but one might for a reason. You know, you should observe and should listen twice as much as you should talk. And I, I get that, and that was something I always took things on board. And what I, what I found with, you know, even the physio end of things, Michael, was that it was too clinical for me. I remember, you know, three or four months in to coming back home, and I said to my dad, you know, this is too clinical. I like, you know, I was used to a changing room, I was used to speaking to people. Uh, and so it really evolved over time. And when, when Train to Be Smart started, I, I was a coach and I was going through my pro license. So I'd, I'd gone through all of that as well, even from a coaching perspective. But I was telling them one thing and then I was finding that some parents were pulling them over and telling them another. 
and they were getting conflicting messages and i was thinking well you know what you know it's okay doing all of these physical assessments and tactical assessments but you know more than anything they need to really enjoy what they're doing first and foremost and feel comfortable in their environment before you can give them all that information where they're prepared to to accept that information as true so really that's where it evolved and you know it's so it's it's been yes philip has impacted on it and 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 very strongly but it's been all of the transitions you know it's been six house moves when i moved back from from england which are our other major stressors it's about educating myself more within i suppose the mental health sphere and going and doing a mental health and well-being diploma as well as to actually link the physical to the mental and emotional health as well so it's constantly a learning process with me and uh, even from a football perspective my dad and, and when i look back it has been my biggest influence you know and, and certainly from the the sporting end of things you know he always would have said you, you know even when you get to 35 you'd still be learning and and i totally get that because i was kicking a ball with my mates last night at at 40 turning 48 and i still i'm learning the game even then yeah and, and I, I agree with you totally, Pat. And I love, I love your, I love your, your, your. I don't even want to call it the, the quest for knowledge, but I love that you're, you've set yourself aspirations of of learning every day, even even linking back into your own experiences, and then undertaking a mental health diploma, um, to to increase your knowledge base further. Is is it true that you received uh, an award in twenty eighteen from the then Prime Minister Theresa May for your work? To, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, I did. And I mean, I, I didn't know any anything about it. I just received a phone call uh, in 2018, I think it was around the September time, and, and they said that I was, I was, being, I was getting a, an award for all the work that I was doing. So, uh, and I, I suppose, I, I, not that I knocked it back, it was just that I, what I said was, I don't do it for that. I don't do it for awards as such, but... It was it was lovely that 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 somebody seen it fitting that I actually didn't did the work that was was rewarding in terms of the community. So yeah, so I received that received that in, in I think December two thousand and eighteen, and obviously I appreciated it. But but as I say, I don't do it for that. I, you know, even this pitch at, at Tully Galley and mental health facility that we want to partner with a, a primary school with which I'm pushing towards is it will be a memory of, of Philip, but it will be a memory of all, I suppose, the, the people that have put effort in to coaching people like myself, like Jared McMahon, like people like Neil Lennon that went on to do things within sport and within football. Um, and that's why I think coaching is so important because you're, you're able to impact on those kids as well. Yeah, I think, I think you're... I think your service to the others, Pat. Um, I know you, you you mentioned there. You, it's not about the rewards, but but sometimes an acknowledgement of of the efforts and and everything that you've you've put in in terms of the discipline and the commitment and the perseverance to do this. Sometimes it's it's nice to take that moment and reflect and say, you know, I'm I'm not here for rewards, but actually it's nice sometimes to be acknowledged. Now, is it is it true that the that the former gaffer and and the former team captain have have did a wee bit for you in terms of trying to be smart? Yeah, both. Um, the gaffer was due to come over in, in 2015. So I started trying to be smart in 2013 and, and I'd sent the gaffer a ladder and just said, look, you know, about the work that we were doing. And he, he was due to come over 2015, couldn't make it, but he had promised that he would come over. So I, I contacted a mate of mine who's a lad, Tom, the one who played at Porter Down with me, who was a, a, a great player for, I think he played at Derry City as well. But Tom's now, I think he's now under 19 or under 21 manager with the Republic of Ireland. And I was, was under 16 manager at the time, whenever Roy was assistant manager at the Republic. So through those contacts, I managed to get Roy and Roy, agreed to do it and came over in February 2016 I have to say 
he did a he did a Q and A fundraiser with us in Armagh, and then the following day, um, came down and seen the kids down here in Lurgan, and was absolutely brilliant. You know, he was he was great crack. He he, he invested all his time with the kids. Um, one of one of the stories that I'll tell is like you know, after after the the actual session in in the morning and where he came to see our kids um and there was a group i suppose about of about 150 of the kids and and then parents and everything arrived so the our, our children were due to go to school but they says like can we take right down to the airport with you so of course they had jumped in the back and they were just they didn't say anything they were just <laughs> in awe of telling telling them jokes in the in the passenger side of the car with them oh, and so you know and that's the other side to Roy Keane that I suppose people don't say I suppose they're seeing a wee bit more now that he's decided to join Instagram but um he's that that that's the Roy that you get as well as much as he's a very focused individual there is a, a really you know warm side to him and and that was shown and then in 2017, the gaffer came over, did a mental health awareness event, met all the kids within the teams, um, you know, and talked about key themes um, when he came over. So the, I, I always say that those, those really strong characters, you know, are you, you can learn a lot from them. And I suppose you can learn a lot from, from people generally and those human values, but to, to get people of the standing of, of Roy Keane and Alex Ferguson to come over, and do an event, I suppose it was it was heartwarming for myself, I have to say. Yeah, but I even I mean I'm sure the kids took a, a lot from that, Pat. Um, given given the the careers and and the standing of, of both men, and the football community, and I think you mentioned some of the some of the Instagram videos and and some of the the analysis and the commentary and the the actual banter now going on between them, particularly Roy Keane and, and Mika Richards, is absolutely hilarious to watch. Um I think that's a a, a blossoming partnership that no nobody thought about. No, to- totally. And you know, like I, I never thought even the likes of Scolzi Scolzi had a had a great sense of humour in his hands around, but you never really seen it you know, as he was playing in interviews and that he never did very many interviews, but he's now coming out and he again you see the strong opinions with schools like Gary Neville's another one. You know, Gaz is Gaz is, is brilliant, I have to say. I would even in LinkedIn he he, he would come on and the seminars as well because he's involved with obviously a different interest in Salford City and business and you know, you, you see the, the, the character of those players as well coming out and you I suppose you're seeing the, the very real them, which you wouldn't necessarily yes, you would have seen on the, the pitch that they were explosive and strong characters, but you're seeing another side of them as well, Michael. Yeah, um, and plans moving forward then for Train to be Smart is obviously trying to cement that, that facility for yourselves so you can grow this programme moving forward. Yeah, I mean the the, the, the idea of of the the programme and, and the move to the Tully Gallery site is the to be an outreach program for you know the, the kids, um, the the school, and also the community generally, um, just I suppose unstick the stock, you know, because sometimes we, we, we can get very, um, you can get very deep into the, the area of mental health, and and when it comes to it, you know these things, especially you know the man, relating to mental health issues and mental health disorders, and when they talk about anxiety, depression, leading to self harm, suicide, we understand that we we want to get to a stage where people don't feel that you know that they they're so isolated and lonely that they see that as as the only thing available to them. So that the the idea of this is that. It gives them more time to inspire the community to find out what they are interested in, their human values alongside their, you know, their 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 passion within their career and employment, and so that's that's where we want to get to with it. And and it's it's been a roller coaster, I have to say. You know, the, the, the we're eight years in. I I give myself ten years. I I have to say, eight years in, if we can, um, you know, cement that. Uh, I suppose that program and the project and and giving that out to the community because I want it to be community led. I I don't 
don't want it, it to be all about me, certainly not. Um, but that's where that's where we want to get to, Michael, with it. So it's it's exciting times, and we've I've met some really good loyal people along the way who continue to to support what we're doing, both just as coach volunteers and you know as parents and children, and and that's where we want to get it to. Yeah, I think it's a I think it's fantastic initiative, Pat. What where can people go if they want to support? What where where's the best place to find you? Is it social media? Yeah, we we've social media outlets. So obviously we we've trained to be smart juniors with with Facebook and and trained to be smart on Twitter as well. Um, we also when when you go into the Twitter, the, there's actually if you know the the pin tweet is is actually about what went on and how Train to Be Smart was impacted by Philip's death, by, you know, the I suppose the abnormal stresses of life that, that happened since I've moved back home and how it has impacted. So the I suppose positively when it comes to taking ownership of, of Train to Be Smart and what we want to do with it. Um so that there's a the pin tweet within the our Twitter page just about it. And if there's any sort of um, if anybody wants to donate in terms of where where you want to get to with the pets, they can do as well, Michael. So that they would be the the main, uh, I suppose, social media platforms. Yeah, brilliant, Pat. And I've got I've got one final question for you before you go today. And I've really enjoyed listening to the story and and some of the insights you provided. And I'm sure the listeners will will find that also. If you had one message to your younger self, what would it be? I've asked been asked this question before, and I suppose it's a, um, and, and I'm not going, I'm not sitting on the fence here, but I, well, I've always said that I I've lived my life not having many regrets. It's just the the way I have been and the way I've felt, and I've always been quite tuned into my emotions. So that's why, as I said, you know, even with the physio, Michael, whenever I realised within three months that it was too clinical for me, you know, it was and. So it was just getting round to that point. Um, but I suppose I would just say uh, keep learning and and don't ever, you know, don't ever stop learning because sometimes when you you you, you stop learning then you become stuck. Yeah, I think that's a, a fantastic way to end the show, Pat. Listen, I've really enjoyed having you on and can I wish you all the best for your future endeavours with Train to Be Smart. Love to the family and obviously major thanks for coming on and contributing today. No, th- thanks, Michael. Thanks for the opportunity. Always appreciate it. Thanks, Pat. Bye. All right. Speak to you, sir. Bye. I'm sure, like me, you took a lot of valuable insights from that interview. Thanks for listening to the latest episode of the Let's Get Real podcast. I look forward to seeing you all in the next one. And remember, keep it real.